So hello, Learn to Listen. This is your host, Mariah Parsons, and I'm here today with Catherine McManus. She is a graduate from Notre Dame in the class of 2016, where she participated on the women's lacrosse team. And now she has her master's in both sport and performance psychology and clinical psychology. And she focuses her research mostly on body image, eating, and exercise behaviors within athletics and focuses on childhood obesity community intervention and prevention strategies. So welcome, Catherine, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited as well. Um, as you know, you're the second guest on the show and just a little bit of background. Um, I saw you speak at a fellow program we are both involved in based out of leadership and vulnerability and connection. And after hearing you speak, I thought you're so eloquent that I just had to have some extra time with you. Um, so I'd love if we could just kind of dive in and give um, a little bit of background of what inspired you to work within athletics after having been an athlete yourself. Yeah, I love that question. Um, so as a student athlete, I mean, I just didn't know what I wanted to do after college. Um, and I was always interested in the fact that like athletes are humans first. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of in the hustle and bustle of a division one day, like there's so many times you forget that because there's so many different roles you're trying to perform and you're 18 to 22 years old. So it's a lot. Um, and what I was realizing at Notre Dame is we have all these incredible resources. We have all these incredible people and communities. And yet people I cared about were just unhappy or in kind of a rut or complaining or whatever it was in their life. There was something where I was like, huh, why is that happening? Why are they able to perform at such high levels in different areas? And then at the end of the day, like they just don't feel whole. Um, and that was kind of like, how do I fix this? Or how do I kind of know more about this? And so I went in to work with um, Student Welfare and Development right after my senior year and I was an intern. And I was like, hmm, is this just a woman's lacrosse thing or is this across the board? And when I started to connect with a lot other of other athletes and other teams, I was like, okay, this isn't just a one team issue. It's kind of across the board. And so I was like, what do I do about this? Mm -hmm. So that's when I went on and got um, the master's of sport and performance psychology, because I figured it was a pretty good way to kind of get athletes to come to you. If you were saying like, I can help you perform better. We don't need to talk about feelings. We can just talk about getting you better at your yeah. sport. <laughs> and then kind of like backdoor and be like, well, also, how are you doing as a person? Yeah. Um, and so that's really where my clinical training has come in as well, because I want to be able to make sure that I'm efficient, because you don't have a lot of time. So mm -hmm. I want to make sure that when you come in to see me, like we can work on those performance things, but we can also just sit and talk about you having a tough day. That's totally fine and normal too. And I want to be able to be a resource that kind of lets you have the freedom to choose what you need. Um, and hopefully I can deliver. Mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting and in having been an athlete myself, um, you like know you kind of do have to maybe center it around like performance and whatnot to get someone to truly open up. So I just, that kind of resonated with me um, <laughs> as I'm sure you've like found major success in doing the same thing as well. Um, and I think also myself just having reflected on, you know, being a senior and what my life will look like outside of sport um, after I graduate, I've learned that, you know, I think it's a preconceived notion that you have to sometimes decrease your physical performance to increase your mental one. Whereas I've found it's actually the opposite, um, in where like you have a flourishing life. And so if your mental 
um, you know, capabilities are flourishing as well. Your athletics kind of do the same. And I think it's sometimes, um, a little bit like maybe can get lost or whatnot in the messages that we hear nowadays, you know, like work hard or whatnot. Um, and I think that has an importance to it as well, but I very much only myself awoken to like the notion that you kind of need a balance of everything in your life, um, to truly like feel happy and to bring that to your sport as well. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's like a work in progress. I think it's unrealistic to expect that people in college are going to know that. Um, so for you in a college, like 18 to 22, you might just be like, yeah, I'm all about sport and all about having fun and all about school. And like, that might be all you can manage. And that's totally fine. Um, I think it's a process and a journey, but it's just allowing yourself the space to slow down and just be like, whoa, am I just doing this because I'm on autopilot? Am I doing this because I really love it? Um, and kind of prioritizing, like, what do I need? what fills my cup, what's kind of stressing me out and what do I have control over? So once you kind of know what's stressful, it's like, all right, there's 10 things on this list I can't control. Um, but one of the little things and where I really talk about with athletes a lot about how do we give you back your inches? In sport, we talk about like those tiniest of margins that matter and help you win, whether it's like seconds or inches or whatever it might be with whatever sport you play. We want to find that within your own life? Like, how do we get you back your inches so that you can breathe or just enjoy your day a little bit more? Because life is short and it's challenging, but if you can slow down and just really enjoy the process, I think you're going to love what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. What would you say has been kind of like a universal across the problem or across the board problem that you've seen, um, like either within your own like athletic career or um, your professional career, just like with athletes and their mental health? Yeah, I think one big thing is like stress management. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think it might be a cohort thing. Like I think this generation is just stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm part of it. So I guess I'm part of the problem. Um, and I don't, I can't really say like I'm not part of the older generation, but it just seems like there's been and a social, political, economic like shift. And so there's this stress of like what it means to achieve and succeed. And it's stressful for children um, who are being socialized in like um, sport that's very structured and very like you have to be the best and that type of mentality. And you have to do every extracurricular activity to get into college. And so that, that whole notion of like, are you just a piece or a pawn in someone else's plan is hard. Um, so when, when you get to college, there's a lot of like normative development that's happening where you're like, who am I? What do I believe in? That's super normal. You should be having those questions, but then trying to manage that on top of like, oh my gosh, I'm super stressed with sport and school is hard. That's all normal too. But when you throw it all together, it's like a wild, crazy storm. And I don't think enough people like allow you the chance to be like, what I'm doing is hard and I, I'm cool and I should be proud of what I'm doing, even if I don't have it all together. So stress, that was a long way to say like stress <laughs> is definitely an issue I work with. Um, uh, some of my younger athletes, confidence is a big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really hard because confidence is kind of like, it's, it's a buzzword, but no one really knows what it means. Uh, yeah. So a lot of times I talk about like, is confidence in action or is it a feeling? And so a lot of times athletes are like, I was playing well because I was feeling great or I was super confident. And 
I believe that confidence kind of ebbs and flows. Um, but really what's going to build your confidence, and, which is, I believe is an action, like you can act confident, is going to be consistency in your preparation and what you're showing up and the things that matter and how you do what you do. So um, those are probably the two biggest categories in which I talk to clients about would be stress management and then confidence. Yeah, I definitely, that's so interesting. What a, like the question you pose of confidence being either a feeling or action. And as you're speaking, I was trying to, you know, decipher what I thought about it myself. Cause I feel like it's, they are like very um, symbiotic in nature where, cause it's like, if you're feeling confident, then, you know, you can act more confident, but it goes vice versa as well. Um, and I guess that's, that's something I'll take with me is kind of to like reflect and being like, oh, am I acting or am I feeling confident or is it one and the same? Um, and what yeah. And it's kind of fun with athletes, depending on age, you'll get different answers. Um, and then also just like different experiences and there's no right or wrong. Really what I try to do with individuals is have them define what it means to them and then identify like behaviors or things that they're doing really well so that we can replicate that because we want consistency. Um, so that's kind of what I work on and it, it's fun to see people surprise me with some of the answers they come up with. And it's like, I'm by no means an expert. I mean, I have these degrees and this training, um, but at the end of the day, like you're an expert in you. And so I love to learn from you and learn what um, things that work for you and things like that. And so it's really fun where every day I am inspired and learn new things from clients because um, I get to learn more about human behavior and that's what makes my job fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, for myself, I mean, I've always loved psychology and just like everything behind human connection and understanding. Um, and I'm curious if you'll share just with us one, like one of those teaching moments for you where maybe you were like shocked or that made you reflect um, upon yourself, just like based off of, um, you know, someone else's self-awareness or whatnot. Yeah, I love that. I'm still really early in my training. So I make mistakes like all the time. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing um, is like, which I think athletes will probably resonate with this. It's it, my mentality in my like learning how to be a psych clinical psychologist is very similar to what it was when I was performing as in athletics. It's like, I always have this internal track in my head. Like, did I ask the right question? Am I doing the right thing? And so it's really hard to just be in the present moment. Like when you're with a client being like, wait, did I miss that? What did they just say? Rather than being like, oh my gosh, I asked the wrong thing or I'm not doing, or I'm nervous that I'm doing something that's making them react differently to me. So that's really hard just to kind of like let go of that need to control and need to be perfect and to just trust. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really hard because you're like someone else is trusting you with your their feelings and then you're trusting them to be like, they're not gonna hate me if I miss stuff. Um, and which I think is, Cool, because it's a very similar dynamic to what you have in sports sometimes of like, I have to trust my teammate that they're going to do their job. And when I'm overthinking, I'm clearly not playing my best. So it's, it's not a new feeling. It's just a different domain, I would say, um, which is what I love about sport and performance psychology, because you can apply these skills to all areas of your life. So I was like, oh, well, I've done this before. Um, and so then you have a little bit more confidence and competence in your ability to be like, I can do this. Um, so that's a big thing I've been learning. It's a growth process um, and I'm hoping to get better, but yeah, that's, that's one thing I would say. 
Yeah, no, I love also like your awareness to know it's hard sometimes to be in the moment because I find myself like thinking as well, like a million miles a minute um, and a week, a month into the future. So I'm curious if you found any um, like effective practices to kind of put yourself back in the moment and to, you know, trust, like find that trust that, you know, they're going to be able to um, share whatever they're going through at the moment. And then also for you to trust yourself in Mm -hmm. your training and whatnot. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, breath is like one of the most powerful tools we have and we don't use it enough. Um, So if I realize I'm like, so in my own head, I'm like, whoa. And all I have to do is just like, take a deep breath. And the client probably won't even notice it. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just like quick second creates just a little bit of separation between your thoughts, feelings, and your behavior. And so just that little bit of space is like, and just gives you that ability to exhale and keep going. Um, and I think in athletics, like not getting hung up on mistakes with just like the turnover is really helpful in this career too. Cause it's like, you might've asked the wrong question. Whoops. Like the, you can either apologize or the client will just steer you back where they need to go anyway. Um, but for like people who are very in their own head, I often use um, external cues. So that would be like, if you notice you're super in your own head, like if you have a cue, whether it's uh, like, say it's on a test, um, I would probably have the cue be like your pen or something. And so once you notice you're on, you're in your own head, like you're going to look at the pen and be like, oh yeah. And you could anchor an affirmation statement or something that kind of helps you move forward rather than being stuck. And so that's a really helpful tool I use is like, how do we get you from inside your head to externally anchored on something else that's not in your head? Um, so a sport example would be say, a tennis, this is one I've done before. So a tennis player double faulted on their serve and they're panicked. So the next time they get up to serve, what I'm going to have them do, if they're overthinking about their technique and how this serve is going to go, I'm going to have them take a deep breath and anchor themselves on their shoelace before they do their routine to take their serve. And what they're going to do is that cue, that visual cue externally is going to be like, and they can either take a breath or say an affirmation statement, and that's going to help them just perform on autopilot the way their body has been trained to do it, rather than getting so caught up in their brain. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And thank you for sharing yeah. the example as well, because I was kind of you know curious. I was like, external cues. What what kind of does that mean? Um, and also the example with the pen, like taking a test, because of course there's different ways you can be. Um, analyzed and whatnot, you know, in sport and out of sport as well. So I was even thinking like, oh yeah, if I'm like taking a test and getting a little bit anxious, sometimes I'll like look up and take a breath. And now I think I don't even, I wasn't even aware of, you know, what like I was trying to do, like it wasn't planned, but I just know I can feel myself getting frustrated in the moment when I'm like, oh my God, like, I know, I know this, but I just can't like get there. Or if the like previous couple of questions I didn't know or whatnot. Um, so like, yeah, I've definitely tried to find a couple of my own practices and I'm going to have to try that one as well. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Funny. Cause like, I think most people will resonate with this during COVID so much of my life has been virtual. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on the computer, I'm like so hunched over and I tend to carry my stress in my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I realized that, like that physical cue of like, Whoa, I'm stressed. So they work both ways. So like I have a physical cue, I'm stressed out. And so what that means is like, I need to take a deep breath. I need to take a step back from my computer. I need to go get fresh air. Any of those things, depending on like the time I have allotted in my day 
are going to really help me continue to like be in the present moment and keep going forward and just like reset the stress level. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get rid of the environment that's causing stress. You can just change the way you respond to it. Um, so it's just being able to be aware of that and then figuring out ways you can behave so that you feel your best knowing that like, we can't get rid of COVID. I wish we could, but here we are. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. No. And I love that too. Cause I definitely, I know I try and change the environment that I'm in if I'm stressful, just because it, it is my approach. And I, um, I like to, you know, um, like make myself and others, you know, feel better and increase the overall positivity. So, and sometimes, you know, I just can't do that um, as we've learned. So, you know, I definitely have had to force myself kind of to shift my own mindset of, you know, like you can't change the situation, but it it truly is how you respond to it. Um, And, you know, how you're seeing whatever situation you're in. Um, And I'm curious with that, you know, like how has your own background in athletics helped you to be able to maybe like connect on a different level um, with your clients, just because I think it is, I, I'm, I've tried so many times to, you know, articulate um, kind of the added like responsibility and the added um, like nuances inside the athletic community. And I think it is so rare, but just to kind of have that own like background and to share that with your clients, um, does it allow you to connect on like a deeper level? I love that question because it's a complicated question. Mm-hmm. So yes. technically from like the clinical psych model, technically, um, disclosure is like a funny thing. Uh-huh. I rarely will start a conversation with someone being like, I was a division one athlete, like yeah, put yeah. on this pedestal. Um, cause it's hard, but you do want to establish that credibility for someone. Cause you want the client to be like, she gets it. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause once they trust you, like they'll give you more basically. Um, so it is kind of a fine dance where you're like clinically, I don't really want to talk about myself. It's not my place to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times I'll try to establish that credibility through the way I respond to clients' comments. So a lot of like reflections of kind of showing like, I understand you even if, even if I'm not going to tell you how really I understand you. Yes. Um, when I'm doing like um, kind of one-off um, lectures or topics or meeting with a team where it's not like a long-term individual setting, I'll, I'm totally fine with saying like, I was a division one student athlete. I played at Notre Dame. Like that immediately establishes your credibility. And when it's a big group and a lecture kind of like that setting, um, it, it is helpful. It creates more buy-in. So I kind of, um, depending on what I'm doing and how long and kind of the setting, um, I will navigate how much of my previous experiences in college athletics I will disclose, if that makes sense. Yes, for sure. And I figured it was something of the sort because I've always been curious, of course, not being in the professional field um, myself, just wanting to like ask and see how that would play out. Because I feel like even if you can't, you know, verbally say it um, in a more like long-term one-on-one situation, I would imagine there would be just like responses and whatnot where maybe even subconsciously they would be like, oh yeah, like I, she like gets it. Like, you know, like, um, or just like maybe an inkling or, a, um, an idea that, you know, maybe you had to pass an athletic. So that totally makes sense. Um, and thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, cool. and more just to segue, I would love to talk just more about, um, your four years at Notre Dame and, um, on the lacrosse team as well 
just more of like from a personal side, um, if you had to choose, what were some maybe like defining moments um, in your career here? Yeah, so I had such an interesting time at Notre Dame. I absolutely loved it. It like to this day, I still think it's like one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And I will say like, I'm not to brag, but I think I've made a lot of good decisions. So the fact that it's like pretty yeah. tough, <laughs> Um, but yeah, just the community is so special. Um, and so I guess I'll start with like a big defining moment that happened in the middle of my time at Notre Dame, but I think it completely altered my trajectory, Mm -hmm. um, at Notre Dame, but then also beyond. Um, so you've briefly heard this story, which, and I'm happy you can go so much deeper into it if you want than I, than I was able to in the Rosenthal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but my sophomore year of college, my sister was killed by her ex-boyfriend. Um, so she was 26 at the time and I was 20. Um, so this happened in May of 2014. And that just kind of rocked my world, as you could imagine. Um, she was living in Chicago at the time. And I didn't, because I was a Division I athlete, like I didn't see her that much. I wish I had seen her more, but like her life and my life, we were just busy. And so that really dawned on me where I was like, whoa. I need to pay attention to the people in my life. And like, just because I'm busy is never an excuse for the people that matter to me. Um, So that was a big moment. And then also just like the compassion I received from Notre Dame, like my teammates were unbelievable in the ways in which they responded to my sister dying. They all showed up at her funeral, like just, and they were just there with me every single day following. But then also like in my personal life, all my friends at Notre Dame who weren't athletes, they were unbelievable as well. The athletic department as a whole, my coaching staff, um, but then also my family. I think my family decided to choose love over hate. Like it was sad and it was hard and there was anger, but we just decided like this man was not going to take any more from us than he already did. And so we were like, how do we pay kindness forward? How do we continue to live and love and be like hopeful for the future? Um, Knowing that like this was a big like whoa moment, but we learned so much. We grew so much, grew so much. And like our perspective kind of shifted So I don't regret any of it. Like it was really hard and a lot of growing pains, Um, but it really defined my Notre Dame experience where I was able to get involved in so many different things. Like I was able to get involved in campus ministries like grief support group, which was unbelievable. I would have never done it. And it was so impactful for how I recovered. the counseling center, I was able to go there and get really great services. I got really involved in community service just because I was kind of didn't know who I was. Like things were just like, I was like, I don't know what to do right now. Um, and for some reason I anchored myself in community service and I loved it. Um, I got so involved in the homeless center in South Bend and then also the Notre Dame like athletics fighting Irish fight for life. And those two things completely changed my experience at Notre Dame. Um, so I think that moment, like it really just simplified my life where I was like, I'm stressed every day because of sport and like, that's okay. Where I still was just like, how do I make the most of the time I have here? Um, And those relationships I created at Notre Dame have continued to stay so impactful in my life, not just like my peers, but more so like the people who mentored me and helped me through that as faculty and staff, like they're still in my life. Um, So that's really cool. Yeah. One of the most amazing things I will say like the Notre Dame family it truly does span you know wherever um you kind of find it and 
in some moments it's more close to home, like actually on campus versus other moments I've been like, you know, just kind of sitting in an airport and I meet someone who is amazing because I see that I'm wearing like a Notre Dame sweatshirt or something of the sort. Um, and everything from what I'm gathering is that, you know, something that really grounds you is your relationships with people. Um, and myself, I know I value my relationships. Um, and something that really stuck with me as you were sharing, just saying that your family chose to focus on love over hate. Um, and I think that can be so extremely difficult when, um, you know, you, your own, um, like your own bucket or the ability for you to give back might be on the lower side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to truly like find strength in that is so um, respectable. And I'm curious, how did you, you know, like kind of come to that decision with your family? Because I think it is sometimes easier to walk into, um, you know, the seeing the more negative aspect of things. Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for that. I like, I think it's like, this is, I feel like this is a cop-out answer, but it really like, it's just who my family is. Like, it's just. Well, that's so wonderful. So that is not a cop-out answer at all. <laughs> And it was like from the get-go like my mom my dad my sister like we never had a conversation of being like this is our family stance it was just kind of like it's all how we individually responded and then as a group like it was easy to keep putting our next best foot forward because we saw each other doing the same thing we kind of there was just kind of like an unspoken like this is what we believe in this is how we're going to be um thankfully my family is really close I'm I think in psychology, we're often pushed to be culturally sensitive and um, to really explore our own biases and our own privilege. And like, I know I stand on the shoulder of giants. Like I just, my mother and father are unbelievable. Um, Just their ability to, the respect they have for each other and the love they have for each other in their marriage is so incredible to see as a child. Um, but then also the respect they have for us as individuals. So each three of their daughters, they really were, they championed us. They were like, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and I get that comes with privilege and opportunity and things like that. But just being able to be raised in a culture like that um, is so important. So I think for me, when like adversity happened, I was like, it's okay. Like I can get through this. Like it's not fun but I know I'm going to be okay because of who I come from and who I choose to surround myself with. Um, And I think my parents had kind of a very similar reaction. And so did my sister, like our social support is unbelievable, partly because of the people like we've chosen to be in our life, but also the, the people that have just been blessed to be in our lives, like that kind of have been a gift from God. So the, the combination of that made it, made a really tough, dark path a little bit easier, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so special. And I very much relate uh, my family as well. I'm close with and um, we kind of had like the same mutual respect and understanding that we like lift each other up um, and whatnot. And, you know, it's, I in the same way, of course, and I realize that that does come with privilege and I'm extremely blessed to have such a social um circle that supports me and you know whatever I'm doing and it also worries me sometimes that for people who don't have you know the same um blessings who want that or need that in life and haven't found it and I think that's one of the 
honestly one of the things that worries me in life is those people that I care about and that I know and even some that I'm I know are out there and I don't even know um and I always sometimes feel as though like there's something more I could be doing to help those people who like you know haven't um had the same situation I'm curious if you maybe have like had the same thoughts or um you know have like any advice for that yeah I mean I think that's part of the reason why I went into the field that I did like I believe in equity I believe in social justice like there's a lot of things that weigh on my heart um and I think it's really hard to navigate of being like systemic oppression is so like big and it's not like and I want to have individual responsibility but also knowing like I don't know how much of a dent I can make um so kind of navigating like what can I take on um, and really what's the role that like is best for me as an individual, understanding my privilege. So being an ally, um, an ally is really important. So um, like I really try to educate myself on cultures that are different than myself. Um, I have the luxury of being able to do that through school and being able to take courses, but like just using like the resources we have available, like the internet is amazing. And I would say like, you have to be a very cautious interpreter of the information you're um, taking in, which I think is also a skill that I've learned um, through school is like how to be um, someone who like looks at research in a very like kind of um, skeptical way of just being like, what do we really think about that? And trying to find multiple sources and seeing how, like how consistent is this finding? Um, but also like exposing yourself to opportunities and um, experiences that make you feel uncomfortable um, and just really showing up in places that you want to get to know more, but knowing that like you, like being uncomfortable is how the center in South Bend was huge for me. I had never been around people who didn't know when their next meal was coming or didn't know if they were gonna have a roof over their head. And that experience was so important to me that I ended up doing it when I moved to Denver and I ended up doing it when I moved to Washington DC. So it's something that's kind of stuck with me where I was like, I just wanna be around these people because I care. Um, and it wasn't to make me feel better. It just, it was something where I was just like, this is something I need to do. And I don't know how to describe it other than that. But um, so yeah, like service is a good way. Educating yourself is a really good way. Just being, um, aware of what's going on in the world but also like grant yourself a little bit of grace like you cannot solve every problem um and I think that's hard at times like if I'm having a really tough day and I'm feeling down I'm like is this like because I'm caught up in the news of what's going on right now and like what can I do today to make a small change or make a small impact rather than just be getting stuck on my feelings of like oof, this is depressing um and that's a I mean I think I'm a white, like high SES female and I'm educated. So I'm like, I don't really know how much of the platform I have to say that, but I am someone who's committed to learning, to growing, to admitting when I've made mistakes and knowing that like I add to this world of systemic oppression. Like I'm part of it, I benefit from it. So how do I make little changes in my day and hopefully inspire change in the people that I'm connected to so that we can once again, like take back these little inches. Um, and then from, from a like 
academic and professional side, like I definitely advocate for the marginalized communities. It's something I'm very passionate about. It's something I do in my work. It's something I do in my research. So um, from like a professional side, like I'm definitely committed to that. And so now just figuring out like, how do I also do this in my personal life as well? Uh Yes, for sure. And I think that's so um, important too, you know, just like being able to be aware and like open your support in social circles and just see how you can, um, you know, like help others and truly just like do that for the benefit and like for your own caring, you know, cause it is something I, it resonated with me when you said, you know, like it's just something I do and that I need to do almost to feel fulfilled. Um, and I think it can be overwhelming for sure. Just to look at like the bigger scope of things. And I've tried myself just to, like, pick apart at like little pieces of the problem um and to like educate myself and to be an ally and just like to be aware I think is such a huge component um in both like our like the people around us and to know um like kind of have situational awareness and for ourselves as well um and I'm assuming the answer is yes but do you find when you give back um and kind of have um your like community service side that that kind of helps when you're struggling um maybe like help fulfill you or help take your mind off of things oh absolutely I think um probably what you're hearing throughout the like the themes you can probably pull out from my talk is like perspective is everything perspective Mm -hmm. is our ability to like has the ability to change our perception so the more open of like perspective you have the more willing and flexible you're going to be with your perception of events or situations and things like that. And also, I would also say like my personality, like I am very optimistic. It's my greatest asset, but it's also at the same time, like I know it can be a flaw. I know it drives people nuts when I'm always like glass half full um, when that's not what they need. So that's something I'm working on individually and like my personal relationships of when to catch myself and being like, that's not the response you need right now, even though I want to give it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I think being committed and engaged in service like does kind of help you once again, create this separation between these thoughts, these feelings, this just sense of like being overwhelmed and gives you the space to just be in the present moment. Um, And the perspective of just like, wow, I'm constantly inspired and um, motivated by these individuals that I interact with just because the adversities they face and what they do. And I just really wanna see them as humans. I don't wanna see them as a risk factor or a data, like a empirical data set or something like that. Like I just see them as humans. Um, and so I really enjoy my time with them. I learn from them. I learn about myself. I learn about them. Um, so it's just really special. Um, I wish there was a better way to like really articulate it, but that's the best I can do today. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and I know you mentioned that you were heavily involved with fighting Irish fight for life. Um, and myself, I am as well, my team liaison this year. Um, But I'm curious, and for those of you who don't know, Fighting Irish Fight for Life takes athletic teams and almost like adopts a child who is suffering from an illness and takes them under your wing. And I'm curious, do you think your love for, um, for community service started when you were struggling with your sister's death um, while at Notre Dame? Or do you think that started perhaps like before? 
I definitely think it was something I had before I got to Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame gave me the confidence um, and the experiences and opportunities to like really figure out how to build that as a platform. Um, so when I was younger, I believed in community service. Like I was always involved in um, Susan G. Komen's like Race for the Cure. Um, I would always try to do gifts for kids and things like that. Like I constantly was trying to find different ways in which I could get involved. Um, I think as you get older, you mature and you're like, huh. And I think for me, the biggest thing at Notre Dame was how do I take my love for service and move from transactional to translational? So obviously there's so much you need transactionally, like their resources funding, absolutely that needs to happen. But this translation, translational piece is like, how do you give gifts of service through acts and community and camaraderie um, and partnership and collaboration? So things like that. So that's kind of where I think my community service was elevated in college where I really learned how to be more transactional uh, um, translational, sorry, flip that. Yep. Might be more translational um, and move away from that transactional because I was a college student. Like I, what money did I have to give to foundations I was interested in, you know, like that. So um, I think that's kind of how my world of service evolved at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like truly finding the, um, the importance and like the beautiful aspect of being able to connect and spend like quality time together um, and to kind of like grow honestly together, like in a relationship. Um, yeah, I think that is truly something that is so special and why I love the Fighting Irish Fight for Life program, um, you know, because it does kind of keep you perhaps grounded and give you, you know, that perspective that you were speaking about earlier um, of just, you know, sometimes when you are struggling yourself, you can internalize that all and lock out the outside world sometimes. Um, so I think it is, you know, very nice to get out of um, our own heads sometimes. And I will say one of the um, like most rewarding experiences has been through a camp called Camp Kesem. And we work with kids and fundraise for them um, for a summer camp. And that cohort of counselor or of campers is um campers who their parents have been affected by cancer and so I've found you know in the moments when I'm perhaps on the more negative side or really internalizing um struggling I just think back to those kids and how amazing and resilient they are and it truly does inspire me um so I think on like that you know wavelength of being able to be grounded in um giving back, I, I definitely relate to and understand. Um, and I love the transactional versus translational um, interpretation of that. Well, thank you. And I would say even more so, like for people who are listening right now in COVID, like if your access to others is limited, know that we can do acts of service to the people who are in our close circles. Like it doesn't need to be this grand gesture of like, I'm gonna go do this Habitat for Humanity build. All of that is amazing. And I say like, yes, if that's what you want to do, please do it. We need so much more of that. We need so much more compassion in this world and people who are willing to get out and do service. Um, but also know that like acts of service can start small and they can be within our family unit. They can be within our friend group. So really just making sure we're slowing down and saying like, how can I help you today? And, and like that has such as just as much benefit as us going across the world to communities we've never and cultures we've never experienced before. So I think 
like reframing the way we think about service and that it doesn't need to be for all these crazy populations or specific people where you're like, they've had so much adversity where it's like, there are people in your close friend group that probably have had a ton of adversity mm-hmm. as well. And if you can just extend your hand, like that's also an act of service. Um, and I often talk about this idea of like, we have a spectrum of pain and like pain is pain. So the, and pain is, um, subjective. So everyone's going to experience pain a little bit differently, both physical and emotional and mental. So knowing that like, I'm never going to judge you if you are super like in a ton of pain for one thing where I'm just like, Oh, that wouldn't bother me. It's like, no, that's very real. And that's very true for you. So I'm going to validate you and be with you on that journey because you are worthy and you deserve that. So that's kind of what I would just caution people of like, we don't need to just do service um, when we think about these grand acts of service and know that like we can do just as much good when we stay small. Well, I love that so much. And thank you for bringing that up because, and this is, you know, why you're the professional, because I think that is so, so important. Um, and I think it can get lost sometimes in just saying like the person next to you or one of your best friends, like just making that clear. I don't think that, you know, we say it enough and you can sometimes take it for granted, just being able to, um, acknowledge like, or tell them, what do you need right here? Like, I'm here to support you, whatnot. Um, and that it doesn't have to be like some grand gesture, um, or like it can be with anyone you, um, truly know. So thank you again. That is such great, you know, advice. Um, and I'm comfortable if kind of transitioning, if you would share maybe a moment or a time that you've reflected and you were, you know, doubting if you ever made um, the wrong decision or whatnot, if you were unsure of yourself and how you went about that. Yeah. I, when I read this question, when you sent it to me earlier, I was like, oh my gosh, what a wonderful question. Because the answer is yes, like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, this is something I wish I was better at considering what I do for others. Like I have so many skills and so many things I can teach someone to be like how to navigate you through this. But it's one of the challenges I have every day is like, if I want to do this for my clients and teach my clients, like I want to be able to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Mm-hmm. So this is something that like, when I do have those moments or doubt or uncertainty come up in my head, I'm like, okay, well, what would I say to a client? Like, what would I do in this situation to help me navigate so that I can be better um, for clients when they show up with similar things being like, yeah, I've been there. Like, and you can really be on that journey with them. So I think for me, like anytime adversity comes, I always go to, oh no, did I make the right decision? Like, what if, what if, what if? And I've realized that like those what ifs, like time travel is not a thing. Maybe a scientist has figured it out, but it's one of those things like we're in the here and now. So all you can do is the best of what you got today. Um, and like I said, I wish I was better at this and I'm working on it. It's really grounding myself in the present moment, knowing that like, I can't change my past experiences and I can't predict the future. So all I can do is my best of what I've got today. Um, and that's one thing I will say, like, as I was reflecting on this question, there's a lot of things in my life where my trajectory has not been from like A to B. It's been like A and roundabout and like circles and like zigzags. And I'm not even where I want to be fully yet. So in times in my life where I'm like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision. Really, it's just panic and self-doubt and insecurity. Once I get over that hurdle, I'm like, wait a second. When you look back, like how much have I made the most of this specific opportunity? So when I was at a fork in the road and I made this choice, like what 
positive things have come from it? How much have I benefited from that? And usually the list is super, super long yeah. versus <laughs> the bad things that have come from it. Cause it's like, regardless of the decisions you make, once you make that decision, make the most of it and know And like, I think it's such a, and this is me being optimistic. I told you, and I warned you, I'm super optimistic. I'm the same like, way, so I struggle with it as well sometimes. Once you make it right, it's like, you make the most of it and then more doors are going to open that you probably never even knew possible. So for me, like I, when I first applied to PhD programs, like I didn't get in. So that's why I got a second master's. And so I'm currently applying again to PhD programs because I want to do it. I was like, I need to get my license. Like I can see athletes right now, but I can't, and I can work on like some mental health issues, but I can't really treat as much or I diagnose as much as I want to. So I'm continuing to work on this journey, but the last two years of being in a master's program, I was like, what I've gained from that experience and my constant overthinking of the fear of what if I would choose this versus something else. Like, it's just unbelievable how much I've grown as a person and as a professional and how much more opportunities and interests I've been exposed to. So like, had you asked two years ago, my research would probably only be with athletes and eating disorders. And now I've got this whole other end of the weight spectrum where like I study childhood obesity, which is amazing. So it, it brings me into communities and research and places where I get to learn so much more and connect with more people and learn more and do more. So that's pretty cool. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yes, yeah, no, it does, thank you. Um, and I think just being vulnerable in anything, you know, is difficult enough. And to admit that, you know, it might've not been the right decision um, but just to kind of see it as it is and not, you know, paint, um, an emotion onto it sometimes can be very beneficial and difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. so yes, it definitely does answer my question and thank you. I mean, everything you're saying is just so eloquent, um, overall, but yeah, being able to, um, see things and to acknowledge, you know, like this is the spot I'm in and to learn from it and to take it and see it as it is. Um, again, it sometimes does, you know, perplex me because myself, I'm like, oh, like, you know, you still weirdly trust yourself and have confidence in yourself, but it definitely does take a hit, you know, when yeah. you find those moments of adversity. Um, yeah. And like, I can even speak to that. Like when, so I got waitlisted at two of like my top programs and I, I didn't get in. And it was the first time, I think it was the first time in my life where I was like told no. And I was 25. So I was like, mm, what? <laughs> You're like, what's that? You know? <laughs> I was like, well, like how bratty do I sound that it's like 25 and I was told no. Um, I'm joking. I've been told no before, but yeah, it was yeah, something that was super important to my, my identity. And like some, it was like, it's a career, it's a passion. It was like what I was like living and breathing. And it was the first time I was like, whoa, that's a hit. And it rocked me to my core and I was super insecure. And so then my first year in my second master's, I was like, put so much emphasis on my grades where I was like, I need to be the best because I was like, this is my next shot. Mm -hmm. And I think that created a ton of anxiety. Like you can ask my fiance and you can ask my parents, like I was wild. Uh -huh. um, I've never <laughs> been like that before. Um, and so it was really just being able to learn how to like slow down and stop being so future oriented and just being like, I'm doing really good work right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And to just like show up and do my best every day and like just trust. And it's hard a lot of people don't have a, a foundation in faith, but for those from Notre Dame who are listening to this podcast or from, or those who maybe aren't from Notre Dame who listen to this, like faith was super important to me. So like 
if you were able to ground yourself in something else and kind of give it to God, it was really helpful to be like, I can't control this. I can just do my best right now. Um, and so I used a lot of prayer. I used just a lot of coping techniques and really just being aware of how I was handling things. And when I was being like very irrational and kind of trying <laughs> And I was, I allowed myself those irrational moments, but what I tried to do is I tried to reel it in a little bit faster. Yeah. So that's how I improved where I was like, you can have those moments, but respond a lot faster. And so that was kind of what I worked on. It was like, maybe I won't be freaked out for 24 hours. Maybe I'll just try to shoot for 12 hours, something like that. Yeah. Maybe steps. Yeah, no. And I love that too. Cause I feel like myself, I definitely am like, I try and close it off, you know, like immediately, maybe just having like a anxious response um so to hear you even say like growing can be just cutting that time in half you know that's so um crucial and I think it allows you to also have a little bit of um like restore some grace in yourself being like no you can have like you can be anxious about something or stressed out but just like find um maybe a smaller stepping stone to you know over time decrease that um stress response um, yeah. And like you athletes do it all the time. And that's what I love about what I do, because you can take a moment like that and then translate it to me. Like, how would you then sport where it's like a really big game where you're like, I want to get into the ACC tournament or something. And it's like, break the game down, break it into quarters, break it into plays, like things like that. And so all of these things, that's why I've done this sports psych training and this clinical training. Cause you can see the parallels and you can see like what language is going to resonate in the different domains of someone's life so that we make sure that like we're talking about the same skill just mm-hmm. the way we talk about it might be a little bit different and if I say it in life and you're like it's not clicking it's not clicking <laughs> and then I try a sport analogy you might be like oh I get it yeah. um, and then what we do is we navigate like how do we take you successfully doing in the sport and translating it to the areas of your life that might be causing some issues as well yes I've definitely found it so like interesting and weird how you can take so many things and apply it to different you know, areas of your life or different domains and it somehow just clicks all of a sudden. Um, and I've definitely like, that's one of the things that perplexes me, you know, just being able to um, like all the, how things relate and whatnot. It's fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Well, curious. About, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, when you think about communication, like oftentimes we get in arguments with people and we're arguing the same thing. It's just yeah. how someone's communicating it. So language is super important. So that's why it's fun to kind of work with people who are in multiple domains of performance, whether that's just like performing as a sister, a friend, an athlete, a student, et cetera. It's cool because you kind of be like, what language is like your aha language? Like, how can I speak your language to make sure you get what we're trying to do here? Yeah, no, and it's super crucial just like kind of knowing as well, like, oh, who are you talking to? Like, oh, I know like this way how I speak works best with them. Um, and, you know, being aware of that with yourself and truly like, no, you have to know a person very well <laughs> um, yeah. to be able to understand that aspect of them. Um, and also related, I have a, another question. Has there ever been a moment perhaps when someone else made you, um, you know, doubt like your own beliefs or your own actions, core values, whatnot? Um, and how is that kind of different from your own self-doubt and then a doubt from another person? Yeah, great question. Um, I think my answer is gonna be a very psychological answer. It depends, Um, (laughs) but yes, I think I have 
first I would say like values are definitely meant to be tested. The way we're raised, like you are raised in a specific culture. And so you gain a lot of your values from other people kind of showing you what to value. So as a child, you're usually going to have values that come from like your religion or your culture or your family. And then as you get to college, you'll probably identify with peers who have similar values to you. And then your values might start to be tested. And it's the first time you're like, I don't know. I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, Most people are like scared by it, but it's like, no, that's when we really get to identify, like, who do you want to be? What do you believe in? Um, And so values kind of guide our action and our behavior. So when you see consistent patterns of behavior, you're like, huh, that's probably a value of mine and see like what drives that. Um, But yeah, I think it depends on the person. I would say like, for me, like I am my own worst critic. So I think self-doubt is way more debilitating than someone else's doubt in me. And I think athletes might relate to this. Like if someone tells me no, like it fires me up. I'm like, screw you. Like I can yeah. do this. <laughs> but not everyone's like that where someone else may not have any self-doubt and then someone might say something to them and it crushes them. So it's really just knowing like where the message is coming from and then being able to dissect like what part of this message has value to help me be better like and what's productive like if me replaying my negative internal track of like you mess up here or nitpicking this part of your your body or your life or your performance or whatever um that's probably unproductive and so it's like okay how do I move from a space that's more productive and then if it's someone else like what did they say that might be helpful to me Um, And then also sometimes it might be helpful to be like, why am I doubting myself? Like what about from this person or what they said is really making me check myself. Um, So there's different ways to kind of navigate that. It would really depend on the client. Um, And for me, I think I've had experiences with all of those. Um, But for me, really, I would just say like, you know who you are. And so for, I really believe in like gut feelings where it's just like, I'm going to make decisions that feel good to me. And knowing that like, you might have short-term like loneliness and pain and struggle and just sadness that you're like, I can't explain this, but if it feels right to you, know that like in the long term it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what is really hard is the way our brains and our emotions and our limbic system kind of develops through adolescence and college is like, we're not done developing. So certain things are going to happen. You're like, this feels like the end of the world. And it's like, well, technically your brain is making you think that. So it's not your fault. Um, And then like you are relying on these social structures to, and like how you kind of are socialized as well. So it's like, yes, I see that and know that you're not alone. Um, So it's hard to kind of navigate that. I think depends on how old you are, where the messages are coming from, things like that. Mm -hmm. And would you say, you know, you've always had maybe um, like that trust in yourself to know you could be stressed out or going through you know, one of the harder times and just to kind of have that optimism that, you know, in the end, you have no idea when things will start to look up, but at some point they will. Cause I found myself, like I never, even when I'm um, truly struggling, I'd never really lose that overall optimism or like hope or faith. Um, And so I'm curious if you've kind of had the same thing or was there a moment where you realized that, um, you know, you had that. I would say for the majority of my life, like I've always kind of had that optimism like you, but there have been a few times in my life where I was like, that's gone and it scared me. And that's when I really got professional help. And I, I, it was kind of, I was at my lowest low and I was like, I'm not okay. And I had fooled myself for so long being like, I know 
so much like um, cognitively about psychology that I was like, but I no longer am being effective in helping myself through this. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I need to be brave. And I think it's one of the most courageous things I've ever done was really admitting to myself and admitting to the people who loved me the most being like, I'm going to therapy. I'm going to get help. I need help. Um, thank you for supporting me through these really challenging times. And I'm a fighter. I'm going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of like knowing that it's okay if you are someone who like generally is very optimistic and bubbly. If you go through a rough patch where you're like, I can't find this right now, no matter how wonderful your social support is, like sometimes professional help really does help. Um, and I would be lying if I said like, obviously I'm going into like counseling. So I think yeah. it's one of those, like, I believe in what we do and I think we can help you and we want to advocate and empower you to kind of learn the skills so that if you come up on something again in your life, like you know what to do, you know how to handle it a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. And I think that can't, you know, that message of that it is okay to reach out um, and get professional help when you do need it. I think that cannot be amplified enough. And, you know, one of the parts of learn to listen is doing so. So again, thank you um, for saying that, because I do think that sometimes there is a, an approach and that's why the stigma around mental health um, is what it is right now, but that it's almost like you're defeated if you have to admit that you aren't this perfect person or that you don't have all your ducks in a row or um, whatnot. So I think it is, you know, just hearing other people say, I know for me, it just, it kind of really makes me like happy that you're saying so um, and just being able, you know, to share that. Yeah. And I think one thing, like I, I love language. And so, so oftentimes we talk about the word like compassion or following your passion and things like that. And one thing I would remind people, especially for those who follow the Christian or Catholic tradition, like when you think about Jesus's passion, like that was suffering and sacrifice. So knowing that like sometimes when you give yourself self-compassion, there might be this notion of that you're suffering and that you're sacrificing and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that what came after his passion was all of this love and self. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like this paradox of like, I'm hurting, I'm in darkness, but I want light and healing. So it's kind of being able to navigate that and just knowing that the biggest act of um, self-compassion you can do is just say like, I need help and know that there are people who want to help you. And if it's not professional help, like try to don't suffer in silence. I would say, try to reach out to individuals in your social support because social support is one of the best predictors and buffers for any like mental and physical health um, issues or in complications for long-term. So that's just something of just like, use your network, don't suffer in silence. And if they don't know how to help you, like they might be able to steer you towards people who maybe know. So knowing that like you can go up that command chain of just being like, I have a friend who's suffering. I don't know where to go. But just that first step of saying like, I'm not okay. And I I would like help is a great step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that so much. Um, And if you could, this is one of my favorite questions that I asked Father Pete as well. If you could speak like directly into the heart of someone who's struggling, what would you say? Okay. Um, So I wrote something for my friends, like anonymous, uh, Do we have time for me to read it? Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can go as far as you would like. Yeah. She started this like really cool, like anonymous mental health, like platform. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she asked me to write something and I, a lot of people have been writing their stories and I was like, I kind of want to write something from this like stigmatized side where it's like, 
people who are here to help you. Yeah. Um, so this is what I wrote about kind of like I can't wait. How, I, how I view mental health professionals and what we're here to do for you. So mm-hmm. I'll read it. Okay. Um, as a mental health professional, when you come in to see me, I don't see crazy. I don't see messed up. I don't see unworthy. I don't see unlovable. I don't see broken. I don't see abnormal and I don't see wrong. I see you. I see courage. I see strength. I see hope. I see growth. I see humanity. I see collaboration and I see partnership. I am trained to ask questions. I am trained to conceptualize. I am trained to meet you where you're at. I'm trained to care. I'm trained to be structure and boundaries when you need them. I am trained to tap into the parts of you that might make you feel uncomfortable. I'm trained to offer you coping skills and tailored resources. I'm trained to not judge, to use evidence-based practices, to continue learning, to check my biases, and even with all of that training, I make mistakes. I am human. In our time together, I will seek to understand. I will do everything I can to help you see value in who you are and who you want to be. We may cry, we may laugh, and we may struggle. We will make mistakes, but we will build together. Because at the end of the day, you are worthy. I don't make change for you. Only you can do that. But if you are hurting, confused, doubting, or questioning, I hope you love yourself enough to have the courage and say, I'm not okay. I think I made it help. My job is to help sift through the mess of this beautiful thing we call life. I aim to provide clarity, peace, comfort, hope, understanding, resonance, and ultimately to help you gain the awareness and skills to be the best version of you with every new step you take. Asking for help is a beautiful gift of self-love of compassion and strength. Mental health is not something to be afraid of. It is definitely not something to be ashamed of. It is to be embraced, to be challenged, to be lived, to be loved. It is what it means to be human. I hope wherever you are, you get what you need and know that I'm in your corner. You are enough and there is help for you. Catherine, thank you for sharing. That is truly beautiful. Honestly, it's, that should be published somewhere. And I'm so happy that you shared it with us today. Um, I can send it to you if you want to put it on your website too. It's fine. That would be beautiful. I would love that. Um, and I think was it, all of it was so eloquent and whatnot. Um, but I think something that really, I know, will it like, I felt like it was speaking right into my heart. So thank you. Um, but just love yourself enough to say that you're not okay. That is such a powerful message um, because it really is. I think you have to invest in yourself when you're seeing, um, you know, seeking professional help and just trying to, um, you know, find internal peace. I think that's so beautiful. And, you know, that mental health isn't something to be afraid of nor ashamed of. Um, That's Mm -hmm. such a powerful message. Um, So thank you. No problem. And I can send you a couple of book recommendations and maybe podcasts if you want to post those on your website too. If anyone who's just kind of like, I don't know if I'm ready for that next step of professional health, but I would like something or I'm interested. I'm happy to kind of leave some just yes, fun. Yes, I love that. Yeah, if people want what to kind you, of play around. What have you found has been, you know, one of your favorite um, books or whatnot? So I love um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I go back to that all the time. Um, and that's really what you'll probably hear throughout this is like this whole idea of like creating a space between our thought feelings and our behaviors. Like he's really big on that um, and finding your why and purpose. Like he's just cool, like way before his time. Um, and his story of like adversity and challenges 
wild. Um, I also like the powerful engagement. That's for anyone who's really interested in like this work-life balance and really living like the best version of them. Um, I'm trying to think. I have so like I have so many books. I because <laughs> I love yeah I love reading so um, I'll look into them. Podcast I love on purpose by Jay Shetty. He was a monk, um, and so like he also has a British accent, so he's so dreamy oh, to so listen fun. to <laughs> what he has to say and the the people he invites on his show. It's just really digestible, relatable, um, and just kind of hits you with the headlines. And it's really easy to listen to that when you're like on a walk or cleaning or doing whatever you're doing and then easily implement it the next day. So that's what I really like about his podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think I have, I probably have a, those are the ones I listen to the most and what I read the most, but I'm happy to give more. Um, I can give you like five of each, I guess. Yes. I would love that for sure. Um, and I'll make sure to share with our listeners and whatnot and post that. Um, but thank you again for, you know, just taking the time out of your busy day to chat with me. Um, and share with our listeners, share about your own story, because I know it is not easy to be vulnerable. Um, and I've found, you know, struggling and to do so myself, but now realizing, of course, the beautiful connections that can be made. Um, so thank you again. It has been my honor to be able to chat with you today. Well, thank you. And I, before I leave, I just want to say like, thank you for establishing this platform. I think your missions and your values are super cool. And I think we need more people like you. We need more people to provide the platform for people to either share their story in privacy or share it publicly because um, we're in this together. We all have different journeys, but at the end of the day, like we are human um, and we can learn a lot from each other. Diversity makes us better. So the more stories, the more people, the more exposure you get, um, the better you're going to be as a person for yourself and for others. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, that truly um, makes my day. And I do, yes, I'm a true believer that, you know, every story deserves to be told, you know, the perfect, the bad, the ugly, everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you again. And I look forward to continuing to connect and get to know more about you, Catherine. (laughs) Well, thank you. This was so fun.